on this week's Farmland, we take a look at the green input to potential government formation and we look at grain prices for the season ahead. Here's what's coming up. We talk to Dennis Nocton on the Green Party's preconditions for government formation and Glan as Donald Maloney describes how forward-selling grain can manage risk on tillage farms. Dennis Nocton is a well-known independent rural TD and former government minister. He spoke to Sylvester Phelan about the challenge Green Party policies could pose for farming. Thank you very much for joining, for agreeing to the call this morning, Dennis. I suppose to start off, the Green Party has stipulated um, several preconditions uh, um, ahead of going into any government formation talks, which include an emissions reduction target of 7% per year. Is this a realistic target? No, I don't believe it's a realistic target. Uh, first of all, I think uh, even the condition of having an annualised target of 7%, I think, makes it very unachievable. Because when you're talking about climate emissions, you, you go in jumps. It doesn't happen uh, incrementally over months uh, um, or on, on a calendar basis. But it, just to try and give uh, people an idea of what 7% would mean, if we took every single private car in this country off our roads and forced everyone in the country to walk to work. That would meet the Green Party target for 14 months. If we slaughtered every animal in this country, we still wouldn't reach our five-year target set out by the Green Party. So that's the scale of what they're talking about here. In fact, what I negotiated with the, the European Union as our 2030 targets would see that scale of a change over the next decade, which will be challenging in itself, never mind to have this on an annualised basis. In terms of uh, the impacts this may have, like um, if they were to conduct even a similar kind of a target, what, what measures would this have or what, what would be needed uh, in the short term, uh, you, you were mentioning there like herd reductions or um, tr transport impacts. Well, I think that the first significant impact that the Green Party has already had uh, is that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil in the response uh, to the Green Party have given a commitment that they will prioritise the passage of a new piece of, of climate uh, legislation in the first 100 days of the Dáil. Uh, and that gives rise to concern to me because I think the focus of the Dáil and the focus of the next government over its first 100 days uh, needs to be on trying to get people back to work, putting a programme uh, of recovery in place. Absolutely, climate action needs to be part of that programme. I think everyone uh, accepts that. But the focus should not be on one single piece of legislation, but a broad set of measures that can actually bring about the recovery of the economy, a very new dynamic economy, yes, that is sustainable. And my fear is now that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will uh, bend over backwards to facilitate uh, the Green Party to such an extent that it will have a detrimental impact uh, in terms of the decisions that we need to take in other elements of the economy, including in the agriculture sector, which is on its knees at present. And do you think this uh, this facilitating of the greens, what, what impact exactly would this have on, on farmers and the rural community in the short term? Well, look, it's very hard to know. Like, I cannot see how uh, you can meet this 7% uh, 
uh, target that the Green Party uh, is making on an annual basis. Um, you know, so where do you start? Do you end up in a situation towards the end of, of the year because you haven't reached your target, that you have a herd reduction in the, the suckler or dairy herd? I honestly don't know um, because we haven't got any detail in relation to it. What I'm questioning is the logic uh, of this. But my concern is that if you were to write that particular commitment into a programme for government without providing the detail of how you're going to achieve it, that this will have repercussions right across the economy. So, for example, uh, in terms of the, the new Minister for Agriculture looking for an extension of the Nitrates Directive, uh, he may not be given the permission by Cabinet to do that because it would undermine this 7% target. It could have implications in how you actually design uh, the, the, the new cap, what level of, of government and exchequer funding is put into the new cap could be determined uh, by this 7% clause. And that's where I would have concerns uh, in relation to something like this being written into stone. And I suppose uh, on the broader topic of, of emissions, traditionally in Ireland, it would have been thought that uh, agriculture would be responsible for about a third of emissions, of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, however, recent research from Frank Mitloner would suggest that uh, there's a difference, lower impact from methane gas. Should the Climate Action Plan be relooked at to take this into account? Well, look, I, I think we, we need to review the Climate Action Plan. I do believe uh, that we do need to review the, the climate legislation, and I would agree to that extent uh, with the Green Party on that. But uh, yes, in terms of uh, methane emissions, I think methane emissions need to be looked at, particularly from animals need to be looked at differently than they were uh, heretofore. But the problem is the way the methane emissions are calculated is already set in stone for the 2030 targets. And I believe that we shouldn't be looking at food production and agricultural emissions on an Irish context. We should be doing this on a European context. So in terms of all the heavy industry in Ireland, they're not part of uh, our uh, cap here. So for example, the closure of the two power stations in Lanesborough and Shannon Bridge have absolutely no impact on, on Ireland's emissions targets because they're part of a European system. I believe the same needs to be done in relation to agriculture, because if you take the beef sector, which is seen as being a huge problem here in Ireland uh, and seen as being a problem in relation to emissions from a European perspective, the reality is we're self-sufficient in terms of beef production uh, in Europe. If you shut down the Irish beef industry, that's going to be replaced with beef, ultimately coming from the Amazon basin uh, in Brazil, which has a carbon footprint that's 35 times higher than the beef produced in Ireland, which is the most efficient beef exporting country uh, in Europe. So in terms of, of carbon emissions, we're actually doing more damage to the environment in actually shutting down our beef industry here and allowing the beef industry in South America to develop unhindered. So we need to look th at this in a global context. And I believe that we should now be looking at food production, not on a domestic level, because we're not producing food uh, for Irish consumers. We're producing food for European consumers, and that is not being taken into account in the way the calculations are made, and neither is the issue of 
the actual climate impact uh, of animal emissions. Contractors have raised concerns over the increase in um, in carbon tax on green diesel that's due to take it come into effect from tomorrow. Uh, is this as much of a concern given the current low levels of fuel and oil prices? Well, I was the TD that tabled the legislation to stop uh, the uh, increase in carbon tax uh, on uh, agricultural diesel. Uh, and it's about the principle of this. Uh, and yes, look, the contractors are one aspect of it. Uh, farmers themselves are another uh, aspect of it. Uh, and I know there is a clawback there, but it's the principle of food production. And should we be taxing a sector of the economy that doesn't have an alternative option available to it? So whether it's farmers or whether it's contractors, the reality is there isn't an alternative option available other than diesel at the moment. The whole idea and principle behind carbon taxes is to try and get people to shift from dirty fuels to clean fuels. That option isn't there for the agricultural community as a whole. And that's why it's not just the agricultural contractors, but the farming community as a whole. And that's why I specifically tabled an amendment to the legislation to block it being introduced on green diesel because until we have those alternatives, it shouldn't be put in place. Yes, there is a reduction now in terms of uh, the price uh, of oil, and as a result of that, uh, the price of diesel. But what are going to be the prices in six months, or 12 months time, or two years time? We're still not going to have electric tractors. Uh, farmers don't replace their tractors uh, that often. Um, you know, the resources that would be needed to actually replace tractors. And even if we replaced every single tractor in the country, the carbon impact of that is very, very minimal. Uh, and I think we need to look at uh, these taxes uh, in a very logical way. There is a problem, particularly with diesel, uh, particularly in the city of Dublin and inside the canals uh, in Dublin. But the Green Party aren't prepared to look at that issue. They want to have the alternatives put in place before the mammies and daddies that are dropping their kids, uh, you know, a mile down the road to school are, are penalised in terms of using their diesel vehicle in Dublin. And we know that using diesel on short journeys creates far more emissions than what's done in rural Ireland. Yet the people in rural Ireland are the ones that are footing the bill uh, in relation to that. Finally, I suppose, can we expect a, a ramping up of like in spite of all the efforts and in spite of the, I suppose, the reasons not to, are we, are we likely to see an increase in the likes of these taxes on, on fuels in the coming years? Well, we're definitely going to see a, a change in focus, regardless of whether the Green Party is part of government or not. And, and I, for one, uh, am committed to seeing uh, our emissions profile reduced right across the sector in rural Ireland and in urban Ireland, uh, in agriculture and other sectors of, of our economy. But what we're doing uh, at the moment, and it's been driven uh, by environmentalists, is they're taking European models and trying to shoehorn them into an Irish situation. Now, that just doesn't work. Remember that 37% of our population live in isolated rural communities. So we can tax diesel and we can tax petrol all we like. People still have to travel to work. Uh, farmers still have to, to travel, whether they're, they're herding or, or managing uh, their agricultural business. 
But if we can get people to do like we're doing at the moment, working from home, that in itself will reduce, in particular, the agriculture and the emissions in rural Ireland to a far greater extent than in urban areas. If we can bring jobs into rural towns and villages rather than the city of Dublin, it will do that as well. That's the type of thing that we need to look at. And that's why, as Minister uh, for Climate Action, uh, I designed and developed the Climate Action Fund, which set aside initially 500 million and hopefully uh, quite soon will be worth 1.2 billion euro uh, in a fund to actually support people here in Ireland and support people internationally to come up with innovative solutions to deal with the Irish emission challenge which is very different, as I say, to the European Emission Challenge. And if you take something very simple in terms of agriculture, the initiative, which is a unique Irish initiative developed by the farmer, the IFA and uh, the uh, EPA, which uh, I supported as minister, the Smart Farming Initiative, that has seen a reduction in farm input costs of, on average, €8,000 for farmers that have participated in that scheme. And it has seen a reduction in overall emissions of about 10%. So there is a mechanism there where you can make farms more profitable as well as reducing carbon emissions. So rather than taking the Green Party approach, uh, the simple approach of slaughtering animals and focusing on numbers, if we actually take a more innovative approach, yes, it does take more, more work. It does take more buy-in from the farming community, but it can have long-term impacts here in Ireland. And these are models that can then be replicated in other parts of Europe and other parts of the world as well. Thank you very much for that, Dennis, and thank you very much thank for you. your time. Donald Maloney is the grain manager with Glanbia. He described to Siobhan Walsh how selling grain little and often during the year can avoid the risk of taking a low price at harvest. Hi, Siobhan Walsh here, um, technical tillage journalist with Agriland, and I'm joined on the line by Donald Maloney, the grain manager with Glanbia. Um, so welcome, Donald. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Siobhan. Hi. Um, so, Donald, um, I suppose we want to give people a bit of advice um, at the minute about forward selling. So we're noticing lately grain prices, wheat is, is, a, little, uh, is a little bit volatile, barley is going down. Um, where do you see grain prices going as we head into the season and towards harvest? It's a, a, the, the million dollar question, I suppose. Yeah, so you start with the easy questions, but... Um... <laughs> Uh, look, I suppose uh, we start with wheat uh, because it's probably a slightly more positive positive story. Uh, if you look at the moment, um, we obviously were aware that the wheat area in this part of the world is back significantly, especially Western Europe in general, particularly the UK and France. Um, there's been dry weather across um, a lot of Europe and particularly southern Russia. They're a big, big uh, wheat exporter. They'll have something like 80 million tonnes. Um, plus, there's a probably bigger demand at the moment for flour and bakery products. And so wheat is, uh, we'd be positive enough that wheat would at least hold its value. Uh, that said, I suppose it's at good values or relatively good values at the moment. So maybe people should be taking a piece of that rather than holding all their stock until harvest to sell. Barley is, it's hard to be optimistic about barley. Uh, I suppose barley has to compete directly with maize as uh, for inclusion as a feed ingredient. Um, uh, it looks like maize will be very plentiful and quite cheap. The ethanol industry has collapsed. Uh, the ethanol industry in the US has collapsed and that takes about 40% of the maize there. It looks like the US will have a big, big crop compared to last year. Uh, so 
look, if there's lots of maize around, it's likely to pressure uh, the price of barley um, and pressure below where it is at the moment. So be reasonably optimistic that wheat might hold its value, but I'd still I'd probably be selling a bit of it and barley I think I'd be selling because I'd be afraid it's going to go lower. And I suppose that's the key message. You know, traditionally in Ireland, farmers don't forward sell. And in Lambia, you've been very proactive. You send out prices um, nearly every week at this, I think, at, at this time of the year. Um, so you're encouraging farmers to sell. So maybe you might might explain a bit on, on how that can balance people's risk over the season. Yeah, well, I suppose what it, what we hope it's doing is giving the farmer the option to make their own price and to uh, be more in control of their destiny. Like traditionally, people would wait until harvest and all their grain was sold in one day. And for us, I suppose all the grain was bought in one day, which is, you know, there's a huge risk in that as well. Um, so I suppose by looking at the market throughout the year um, and by exercising an option to sell at various times, it's not about, you know, transferring the sale on one day in the harvest to one day sometime before the harvest. That's not yeah. what it's about. It's about spreading your sales over a, a longer period and hopefully spreading your risk as well. And I suppose, you know, the, the, the two key things I would see that people need to know is where does the price at the moment compare to the long term average and where does it um, compare to or what is your own cost of production? So every farmer should be able to work out or should know their cost of production per tonne of grain, see how that compares to what the price and offer is and also see how the price and offer compares to what the long term average might be. And doing some work on this the long term long term average over 13 or 14 years for feed barley is about 140 euros a ton if you take out the high priced years out of that which was 2007 2012 and 18 it drops back to about 130 euros a ton and for wheat the long term average is about 147 or 8 euros a ton so wheat price at the moment is a good bit above average barley is probably a bit a little bit below average but you know, I say it's prices are close enough to average in in a year when it looks like supply is going to be probably above average, especially for barley. So. Yeah. So the key there is people need to know their cost of production. They need to set their mark and decide, OK, if the price is is at is at this level, I'm going to sell and they have to be happy with their decision and sell. And as you I've heard you say, move on from there. Yeah, I think it's like a lot of things in life when you make the decision, once you're comfortable that the decision you're making is the best decision at the time, then it's always the best decision regardless of what happens after. So I think you just you make the decision and move on. But I think you need to know uh, why you're selling and what you're selling against. That's why I say you need to know the cost of production, whether you're making money at the prices on offer uh, or at least breaking even. Um, and then, you know, you could, you know, farmers are often, or some farmers, was fond of saying, like, you know, the price isn't good enough to 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 cover my costs or to give me a decent margin. But the market has no sentiment, I suppose. You know, the market is the market, and uh, I suppose you need to take a view of where we think the market is going to go. And it might, if it's the best that's an offer at the time, then and and the best that might be an offer for a while, then that's the best you can do. And I would say at least sell a bit. And I think I go back to what I said earlier. I think it little and often is the approach to forward selling, not trying to sell, not try, none of us can second guess where the market is going to go or whether it's at the top of the market or not. So I think selling little and often is the best, uh, the key to maximize, you know, um, minimizing your risk and maximizing your opportunity. So. Yeah, you're building up that average over time. I suppose the big the big fear, I think, with Irish farmers and forward selling is that they'll miss a good price later on. It's more the fear of the price going up. But yeah, the, you, the you have a lot of data there showing, yeah. showing um, prices throughout the year. 
I do, and if you look, I suppose that prices over the years, you know, uh, um, there is a slide to show that we're probably in some kind of a trend where you have a high price once every four or five years, and in between then are you know lower prices, and probably this year again, looking unfortunately, it looks to say we're looking at a lower price year, particularly for barley. Yeah. Now we're in a completely different time, I suppose, uh, with COVID nineteen and all that goes with it, but again that is going to weaken demand, I suppose. And yeah. generally you don't get high prices or high price years unless you have some major disruption to supply caused by drought or excessively bad weather or something like that. And there's none of that in the offing at the moment, maybe a bit on wheat. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on wheat over the coming months, particularly across Europe. But uh, for grain in general, it looks like the world will be generally well supplied this year. So um, you'd have to think it's not going to be a high price year at the moment. Yeah, and um, you know, we well, yeah, sorry, I was going to also say, sorry, Sean, um, also say, yeah, we looked at, say, within Landby, the people that have forward sold over the last number of years, yeah. you know, five out of the last six years, it has paid a dividend for them in terms of uh, the price, the average price uh, that barley, for example, has been sold at has been generally a good bit better than the harvest price. The exception was 2018, where prices shot up uh, during the summer coming into the harvest. But you could see that coming in advance and there was little enough stuff sold in 2018. But in the other years, uh, forward selling paid well, um, you know, generally by something like 12, 14, 15 euros a tonne versus the harvest price. And I suppose one thing I would say is that the vast majority of people are generally not sorry for forward selling, but are sorry for not forward selling. So, yeah. 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 yeah, I'm just looking at some of your data there, like in 2019, the differential between the average forward sold price and the harvest price was 26 euro. So, you know, it's it's a big difference. And if people are doing it, as you said, throughout the year in small, small little bits of tonnage, it can make a big difference to the, to the end price. Yeah, and there's plenty of evidence to show that, uh, you know, again, probably four years out, five, the price of the harvest is is the poorest price of the year or one of the poorest prices in the year. So, and that's when the bulk of grain uh, comes on the market, I suppose. So you'd be trying to avoid selling most of your grain at harvest is generally, uh, you know, and people will point to the years like 2018 or 12 or, you know, when, it, when the harvest price was very, very good, but I say it's more the exception than the rules. Yeah, exactly. They're the exception. So um, I suppose final pieces of advice, Donald, for Farmers Lambier um, are sending out prices there every week. Um, they should be maybe taking more interest in those prices coming out, should they? Yeah, well, look, uh, we, our policy would be, I suppose, to put a, um, a text price out. We send a separate uh, grain price text to green and dry growers, uh, depending on uh, <laughs> the enterprise they're in. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to send that at least once a week from now to harvest. Um, the price is generally, it's, it, the price is a, a reflection of the market. You know, we don't know any more than anybody else, I suppose, about where the price might go. But uh, all we're doing is reflecting the market. In very simple terms, the way it works is we get a price from brokers on a day. We take our processing margin or assembly cost out of that and then yeah. pass the price on the farmer. You can argue about the assembly cost and whatever, but uh, at the end of the day, we're purely reflecting the price that, that's out in the market on any particular day. So whether the price is a high price or low price, our involvement in the middle and our assembly cost remains the same or essentially the same. So uh, again, as I say, it's just a reflection of the market that's out there and we'll continue to do that. And hopefully, like, you know, people want in more information, contact our business manager, contact me directly mm -hmm. uh, and we're happy to talk to people. But it's not about trying to steal a march and the market or steal a margin, the farmer, it's, I suppose, trying to help people make the best decision. And hopefully in the long term, that's better for all of us.
Yeah, and I think the text messages have definitely resulted in in more more people forward selling. We were talking to Atlanta Agronomist last week, Jane Smith, and she said that um, a lot more people had taken up offers last week, maybe as a result of the price going down. But people are definitely um, starting to take more interest when they're getting that price every week. So I suppose last pieces of advice, Donal, um, would they be to you know set your benchmark, know your cost of production, um, have a mark to sell at, and I suppose be happy then with your your decision and move on from it. Yeah, I suppose uh, certainly know your cost of production and and where you're happy to sell at. Uh, you know what you consider say the the lowest point that you would sell at, and then see how the whatever is an offer compares to that. Um, but uh, and try and do little enough, and don't be trying to second guess the market and uh, and where things might end up. Um, but spreading the average is what counts at the end of the day, not any individual price. It's the average of what you have when all your corn is sold is what is yeah. what most important thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Donald. You're welcome, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for watching this week's Farmland. You can keep up to date on the latest agri news on agriland.ie and the Agriland app.